G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to Footyology. This is the Round 9 preview edition of our uh, bi-weekly podcast and uh, thanks for your support. Um, we're getting a bit of traction and it's good to see as we edge towards the halfway point of the 2019 season. Still not sure what to make of it all to be perfectly honest and I'm not sure... Even the clubs and the coaches themselves know what to make of it. It's a season that's twisting this way and that, like a, uh, as they'd say in Blackadder, a twisty, turny thing. As I say, a very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Fine? Uh, I thought you were going to introduce Baldrick. <laughs> I am well and so pleased with this growing listenership that we have. It, in fact, I'm confident in, in our product now, four years in, that I would say... Tell a friend about it, and tell a friend about Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park. In fact, you told a friend about it, well, not a friend, a, a, a journalist about it during the week, didn't you? Because I, I a, did well-known, a well-known journo was looking for a good old-fashioned burger. Luke Dennehy from the Herald Sun tweeted that he was getting tired of designer burgers and... Uh, was sort of uh, putting himself in the market for a good old-fashioned burger, and I, I retweeted it and wrote on top, uh, well, Luke, we've got just the thing for you, Andrew's Hamburgers. And we've got just the thing for our listeners. Now, we had a great competition, our first giveaways through Andrew's Hamburgers of a T-shirt and cap. We asked our listeners, maybe you, on Thursday, on Sunday night, actually, GWS performed poorly against the Hawks, and we wanted to know what GWS stood for after that game. We'll announce the winner and the best entries just before the end of the program. But have a listen to our special contest this week. Now, a week from today, Thursday, May the 23rd, Rowan Connolly and myself and Mike Sheehan and old SEN compadres of mine, Stephen Peake and Troy Zantuck and Nick Spartels, who, by the way, himself got a bit famous during the week because became a talking point on the hot breakfast, the fact that Scott Pendlebury wears the Nick Spartel's windsheeter like I'm wearing. All of us will be at Andrew's Hamburgers at 1 o'clock next Thursday, May the 23rd, and we're inviting you to come along. And the first three people that come up to Rowan and myself after 1 o'clock and say the word footyology get their lunch for free and a free cap. And then everybody else after that gets free chips and a drink with their burger. So we want a big gathering because it's the day after my birthday. Is that right? Yeah. Not that that's why you would come. You'll come for the great burgers and the great footy chat. Mike Sheehan will be great fun with us. Mike, I haven't seen him for ages. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's except for that terrible scam yes. where they wrenched money out of his... Uh, Account. Very I'm, I'm just pondering the logistics of this finding. Um, it's going to be big. <laughs> it's going to be big. I hope they've got uh, a lot of the uh, deep frying baskets ready to go. One forty-four Bridport 
Greet, you're all invited for the first three. You're the prize winners for the free lunch and the cap and everybody else the free chips and drink. And that is next Thursday at 1pm. What is the date next Thursday? May the 23rd. I know that because it's the day after my birthday. Very good. Okay, uh, this is a meat and potatoes footy podcast. There's some potatoes. I reckon it's time we got into the meat. On Footyology Newsfeed. Rightio, there's a few stories that keep bubbling away, one of which we'll come to very shortly, but I just thought we'd touch quickly, finally, on injuries. They are proving to be a huge factor in season 2019. Now, Essendon in a very precarious situation, as it were, and more bad news for them, Devin Smith, that troublesome knee uh, will require surgery, and he looks like missing a minimum, absolute minimum, of six weeks and quite possibly considerably more. So big blow for them. Yeah, his season after that breakout first year, best and fairest performance has been Annis Horribilis. Unfortunately for Essendon, it compounds because, you know, they they just haven't been able to really take a trick. And Orazio, surname disputed, Fantasia, hits form and he's out for a month. So it was a, a bad week of reading the paper for Essendon supporters. And they've already lost three, I think, key forwards, and that's been absolutely critical in the dysfunctional forward setup. So not good times for the Dons. No, and Richmond, you ask any Richmond supporter, and as their players went down, Rewalt, Cochin, Rance, they said, you know, the one player that is genuinely irreplaceable, because Grimes has stood up well in Rance's absence, Lynch holds a forward line that always had one tall forward in it anyhow, and the midfield, the load is being shared, but they did not want to lose their Ruckman, did they? And he's out for a big hunk of the season. Yeah, well, that's an incredible injury hunk, list. Hunk. He's a hunk. We didn't say his actual name, Toby Nankervis. Toby Nankervis. So the bad news is that Richmond have an injury to their Ruckman, and Essendon don't have an injury to theirs. <laughs> Not no comment. Um, also, I did read during the week that uh, Trent Cochin's return looks like being delayed for another three or so weeks. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's like uh, it's not karma, is it? Not, karma implies you deserve it, but all the good fortune they had on the injury front, two thousand seventeen, and to a lesser extent last year, it's um, the the balancing out act is certainly hit upon them this year. Well, you're not a punter, are you? No. Anybody that has a bet on the horses knows that things come in bunches. Isn't it what the what the punt giveth, the punt taketh away? And some. But punters will tell you, and I'll tell you, that when, you, when you're hot, you're hot, and when you're not, you're not. Things come in bunches, and it, injuries seem to likewise come in bunches. I mean, there is a tendency for teams that are out of the running for the eight towards the end of the year to you know, Mark plays injured very quickly and you find that teams that are in the running for the premiership, no one's injured. You know, broken collarbones are are possibilities. But and with the season in the balance, you'd have to say that Richmond, as you said, have traded all of their not good fortune, but all of their able bodies of recent years for everybody's going down. It, 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 they'll be doing triage there. The, the one plus for them, and it's, a, it's an easy cliche to fall for, but I think in their case it's true. They, it really has forced them to dig deep. 
and they've responded. You know, fantastic win over against Port Adelaide. And I thought, in some regards, absolutely the equal of that win last Sunday against Frio in, in Perth. It does show the quality of the team. Yeah. And interesting, people are talking who's been the coach of the year so far, and there's been a big groundswell of support for Stuart Dew because so many people had Gold Coast absolutely last and by a long margin. And not winning a game. But I tell you what, it doesn't this reinforce the having the, you know, in, in soccer the term is you've got the shed. You know, the the players are with you. They say, you know, that you've, you've got the shed. Doesn't Damien Hardwick just have the players in the palm of his hand because he can drive a team that on paper looks more VFL than AFL mm. to great deeds. To win interstate is very difficult with an inexperienced team. I think this has certainly made us appreciate uh, players that um, until now we didn't appreciate enough. You know, and right off the top of my head, the one name that immediately comes to mind, like Cam McIntosh, you know, guys like that who in 2017 we just saw as bit parts. Well, they're clearly more than that, and I think uh, it's sort of forced us to appreciate their worth. And on the injury front, their most notable injury this week is not a player that got injured last week, but a player who's now retired. I mean, Sean Griggs' Mm. end came very quickly, didn't it? And there is a suggestion that he has bravely or, 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 or sort of selflessly fallen on his sword. So because they don't want to put Rance on the long-term list just in case, so they can have a bit of a nibble at the mid-season draft. Oh, yeah, yeah no, interesting theory. Well, credit where it's due, too. I mean, when remember, it's so long ago now, it feels like it, but when Sean Grigg went from Richmond to Carlton, you know, like, it, it, no one batted an eyelid, did they? Do you they? remember the player that went from... Um, he went from Carlton to Richmond. Do you remember the player that went from Richmond to Carlton? Uh, oh, yeah, smart half-forward type. Well, not that smart, but I was at a game, I think it was against Sydney, where he kicked the two last goals and they won the game. Who, who was it? I can't remember his name. That's oh, the problem. Oh, good one. Um, Don't admit that. It'll come back. He, he was fair-haired. Collins. Ah, Andy Collins? No. Yeah. yeah it was yeah. Andy Collins. And, yeah. Andrew Collins. Andrew Collins. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he kicked the winning goal against Sydney. The first time I saw Mike Pike at the MCG. All right, now very quickly, uh, just sum up on injuries. Credit where it's due to you, Mark, for um, poo-pooing Buddy's alleged Buddy Franklin's alleged minor My, hamstring. Why would you? I've never seen it before. Which he's this, got a minor hamstring. Well, he it's been confirmed he will miss his fourth match in a row this week. So yeah. that's minor. I'd hate to see major. All right, let's move on. Major. I wanted to touch on this. Now, ironic, we've both talked about how we find tribunal and umpiring discussions very boring. So I'm about to bring up one of each. Uh, And hard to surmise this quickly, but I'm going to do as best I can. I don't think ironic is the correct term there. I think it's more contradictory. All right, okay. Well, the Ablett um, non-suspension, I can live with that on its own because um, you saw what happened last week. I think there was less argument for him to get off this one. The Nat Fife one also, I think, was perhaps even worse. But for me, it's not those in isolation. It's the contrast between that and the suspension of Sam Durden, Um, which I looked at the Durden thing and I thought, well, that is just a totally legitimate bump, no malice, 
He's done everything humanly possible to bump fairly. He did bump fairly. But because you have two guys moving from opposite directions, not even necessarily at top speed, there is incident, some incidental contact. Unfortunately, Gary Rowan um, was mildly concussed and taken off as a result of that. But I just think that it's fundamentally wrong that a guy who is in a, a totally legitimate, intrinsic part of football play, the bump to protect his teammate carrying the ball, is out for a week. And a guy who made very unnecessary contact after the ball had left the area, um, however minor, is playing. That is wrong. And I think, to me, it just underlines there's a fundamental problem with the judiciary system in that we look at all these things in isolation and there's no context. Now, Abbott can get off if that's on its own, but if you, and someone, I think it was Dermy or someone made a good point on this, if you took a hundred, you know, sort of learned footy people and showed them footage of the, the bump and footage of what Ablett did and said which one is the, the more uh, legitimate football action, they would, to a man or woman, would all point to the Durden one. And it's just wrong that he's out for a week. It's wrong. Far too much emphasis placed on consequences of an action rather than intent. Okay, if you took a hundred learned football people and you showed them those two and they knew the rules, then they would certainly say that Durden would have to be suspended. Now, whether it's right or wrong, post what most famously, but not solely, the Daniel G and Syracuse bump on oh, Justin Kaczynski, yeah. it was decided that a player who chooses to bump if contact is made with the head of the player he bumps, even if it's accidental or incidental, even if it occurs when the player hits the ground, even if he cannons into another player, mm. even though that has somewhat been ameliorated by decisions in recent years, the cannon one, the player shall be held responsible. Now, I can yeah. understand it. Why? It's because wrong. It's wrong. You, you think it's wrong? I think that is wrong. I think it's fair. Look, if you are chasing a player... Well, then don't bump, ever. They, it almost makes the bump... It, it really almost takes the bump out of the game. Which we seem to say every year. Okay, so what he was doing was shepherding, correct? Yep. Okay. You know you can block a player without knocking him ass over tit. Look, I'm not saying that, that I'm happy with how that the game has gone. But the fact is that the bump... If you're chasing a player at high speed and focusing on that player, that bump comes out of nowhere. It really does. And you're not braced for it. You're not expecting it. Now, if the whole aim was to protect the player carrying the ball, Durden simply had to put himself between the player with the ball and Gary Rowan. Now, yeah. I, that's the, that is how you have to think now. As far as the other two... yeah. What Michael Christian has done is, you know, he's almost done it in a petulant manner, but I can understand what he's done. He said, well, hang on, I gave Gary Ablett a week last week and it was overturned. Now, I'm not going to be a bloody idiot two weeks in a row because this is exactly what's happened the week before. Mm. I saw an incident. It was deemed not 
heavy enough contact. Insufficient force. Because the player wasn't injured. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm not going to do it again because if you overturned it last week, surely you'll overturn it this week. Yeah. Up yours, I'm not suspending them. Just on the thing about you, you can uh, block rather than bump, uh, I would argue that if Durden goes in and just tries to lay a block uh, to a player who is approaching at some speed, oh, he is going to get bowled over. Absolutely, he'll so, get bowled over. So, of course, your instinct is to bump. It's a real problem. But don't you – I think you argued what you said very well, but do you not agree that there is, in a game of reasonably high speed and a physical game, to put as much emphasis as they do on consequences – it's a real, uh, it's a dangerous place to go. I understand. I, I'm, I say I'm not happy how that rule has changed. But you know that what that rule reflects is something that I am very acutely aware of, and that is the fact that a lot of players get injured after their bump when they hit the ground. Yeah. And that's because we play on grounds that are too hard all season. Yeah. You know, this was at the SCG. I wouldn't want to get I wouldn't want to land headfirst on the top of a car park at Marvel. Well, if it was 1980s Moorabbin, he might have drowned. Well, I'm saying, but it's a lot safer to play football in those conditions. Yeah. In fact, you don't build up the speeds. You know, Durden Tony is... Tony Hall would argue to the contrary. Sure. But, but, but look, I'm just saying that it's hard on heavier grounds for Durden just to zip, because he really got him and got him good. Yeah. I, I feel that the rule that was brought in... I think it's almost impossible to bump somebody without some head contact with the I, whiplash. I, I agree. I agree. So, you know, I know it's a big sort of dramatic, the bump is dead, but, gee, it, it just about is. Yep. All right, last one because we've got to move on. Yeah, we do. Interesting um, story in the Herald Sun, I think only yesterday by, I'm pretty sure it was Sam Edmund, otherwise known as the Field Marshal. Um, but an interesting story, and it was about holding the ball. So after... Eight rounds, we've had 72 games. There's been 8,777 tackles laid. What percent, uh, how many of them do you think have been rewarded with holding the ball? Quarter. Uh, 610, which it's is... not a quarter. Uh, no. you got your numbers wrong. 6.9%. Ooh, that's interesting. Uh, it is, and it, it basically underlines that there's not much going the way of the tackler at the moment, which gets back to this... Uh, I think you're hearing a bit more of this debate about whether prior opportunity should be abolished. Nathan Buckley is very big on this, saying that it just it simplifies the game and it would force uh, players with the ball to dispose of the ball quicker. Oh no! You can sometimes. I mean, it's instantaneous. That would be unfair. I, I'm in the Tim Lane corner here, who has often railed against these decisions that favour the tackler because. The guy that gets you've the ball. You've got to get the ball. Yeah, he's got to be protected. He's got to be rewarded. Yeah, Jared Healy is very strong on that too. So, You know um, what that stat tells me? What? On 8,167 occasions, members of the crowd were vainly yelling, ball! Yeah, I don't reckon you're hearing that as much anymore. No? People yelling, ball, do you reckon you do? Uh, maybe they're so worried that it sounds like boo and that they'll be, <laughs> they'll be sort of crucified, they just don't want to say anything. Well, maybe they're scared of getting their heads smashed in. Um, Alright, that's enough news for this week. It's uh, time for our next segment. On Footyology Media Watch. Okay, I thought we'd kick off this week by talking about a story that six days later is still 
occupying a fair chunk of media time, and I speak, of course, of the Dane Rampey post-climbing incident. Now, before your eyes glaze over, we're not talking about the rights or the wrongs, should it have been a free or not, although we could have that discussion. And uh, for what it's worth, I still think there's arguments either way. And very quickly, um, in all the fuss about it should have been a free kick, Daniel Harford actually brought up a good point on this, which is if you read the rule, it talks about intentionally shaking the post. And I think you could argue very strongly that that wasn't Dane Rampey's intention. Therefore, you could justify not paying the free kick. However, my point here is about media management. Now, ordinarily, this would be one of those stories where I'd sit back and I'd go, oh, footy media, can, you know, it's another talking point. Can we move on? But in this case, I think it's been justified because the story keeps getting murkier. Um, so initially, the, the footage of Rampy and the, the knowledge about what had happened beyond the players on the ground, didn't initially come out until a good half hour after the game when I think Channel 7 picked it up and showed the replay. The next day, it grew some more legs because Gil McLaughlin was interviewed and he said this showed uh, practical sense in terms of interpreting the rules. That was then contradicted by someone else coming out and saying, uh, who was it? It wasn't an AFL official. Um... I think an umpiring voice basically saying it should have been a free. Then it's just continued to build day by day until it took another twist when Rampy was eventually, he was fined a lot of money for his comments to the umpire, which was separate, but also fined $1,000 suspended, the fine, for climbing the post, which obviously implied guilt and that he'd done the wrong thing. Um. It gets in, taps into a broader discussion about, yes, our rules re- rely a lot on interpretation. So which ones do you exercise common sense with and which ones do you interpret to the letter of the law? But I think, uh, and, and it's still going, we, we are speaking to you on Thursday morning and we've both finally just heard Essendon CEO Xavier Campbell talking on radio about it again because it's still peaking interest and there's still this issue about, and, and Essendon seemed genuinely confused too about, well, was it right or wrong? You know, did he, should we be bleeding about not getting that free or not? But it also says a bit about media management. Um, and Gil McLaughlin, I sort of feel sorry for him in a sense because he was asked a direct question what he thought about it the morning after. But it's like sometimes with Gil, he doesn't assess the ramifications of what he has to say like that one a couple of years ago when they were talking about the wild card at the mid-season remember that where they talked about mixing up the fixture um you can't do that and basically everything the afl ceo says is going to have some sort of public consequence and in this case it it served to muddy the waters that needn't have been muddied but it also i think was the afl instinctively protecting the umpire and then subsequent events basically proved that they themselves thought the umpire was incorrect because they penalised Rampy. So it's been a bit of a, um, I'd call it media mismanagement. And it's pretty hard for media advisors to be able to look that far in advance and, and assess what is going to happen. Therefore, don't say this, this or this. 
but I think it's happening a bit too often with the AFL at the moment. Mixed messages and thought bubbles and uh, PR missteps, which just make the footy public more, even more cynical about how the AFL is run. In a broad sense, that is worth discussing. Uh, policy on the run is tricky at the best of times, but when you don't have a policy that governs policy on the run, it becomes very much piecemeal and ad hoc. And then you have the situation which is unprofessional, where Gil McLaughlin, the CEO of the AFL, confuses his own opinion with an official statement. That is not professional. Okay, so that discussion is worth having, and we just had it. Mm. The specific discussion on Rampy and that situation that happened at the end of the game is, to me, an irrelevance. It's it's fueled by a story-starved media and lazy radio hosts or, or, or TV presenters that are looking for either talkback or discussion points. You know what? It had more legs than it should have because it happened against Essendon, who has a big vociferous supporter base here in Melbourne and can make a story run a lot longer than the Gold Coast would have or the Dockers would have. Who, you know, honestly, who cares? If, if Essendon feel aggrieved that they could have won the game or should have won the game, then they're kidding themselves because... They did not win that game. No, and I don't think they are, in fairness. No, to, I'm saying, to but them. some of their fans are very aggrieved. That was a free. That mm. was a free. Yeah, you no. Know, free, frees are earned or won, not, not, not yeah. you know, stupidity is its own reward. The I, guy got fined. I wasn't surprisingly. You know what? One of the reasons is because I think Essendon supporters over the years have become conditioned to weird, controversial, and ultimately heartbreaking things happening when they play Sydney at the SCG. You're stretching back to the 1996 point. In fact, even before the 96 point. What's that? Ricky Mott. Not Mott's shot at goal. Well, that was one that went in Essendon's favour. Not the Mott shot. No, but even, I was going to mention the 96 preliminary final, but even the game before that, Essendon and Sydney had a draw. Was there there a Creswell finish? No, Creswell kicked the the goal that tied the scores in the preliminary. But earlier that season, they had a draw there. Um, and Plugger managed to bowl Dustin Fletcher over the fence. But in that game, Essendon had a healthy lead and Sydney mowed it down and got the draw. So it, uh, Sydney at the SCG just invariably doesn't end well for the Bombers. Mate, if you want to talk about strange finishes to games and games in general, St Kilda's your team. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fremantle, uh, Siren Gate. Siren Gate. Yeah. The lights going out against yes, your mob. Yes, You know, St Kilda's first ever win was in their fil- in their fourth season. Yeah, but it was on. It came after a protest. They actually oh, drew really? the game. Yeah. and got given an extra point on protest during the week. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. Okay. So we know how to do it. Strange. Um, all right. So there's there's the rampy thing. Yep. But do you agree with me that I'm actually defending the media in this case because I think the the bigger issues kept getting bigger during the week other than just the rights or wrongs of the free kick. Well, look, this the response of the AFL seems to be seems to have been quite defensive on the back of their lack of support of umpires a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, we didn't stand up for the umpires then, we're just going to back them no matter what. And yeah. unfortunately, uh, what's it called, Murphy's law, of course what happens an occasion where the umpire probably uh, could have been seen to have not 
taken the correct route. Maybe yes, maybe no. Mm. And they immediately support the umpire. It looks a little bit sus. But as I said, policy on the run is difficult. Mm. You need policy for policy on the run. Well, it's actually coverage of footy in that sense is actually becoming even more like coverage of politics in that everyone is Oh, oh here we go. No, no. No, no. Pre-election no. spruik, is no, it? No, it's not. I was just going to say increasingly everyone is looking for a gotcha moment. Um, and so anything that the head honchos say is sort of forensically dissected and the, the implications of that um, spread far and wide. And we see that with politics a lot. And uh, I, I think we're starting to see that with football media as well. I, can I just say one thing about the upcoming election? Of course you can. Anybody that is looking for this new, newly coined democracy, democracy sausage you know, looking for a polling booth with a sausage sizzle mm. out the front, you are, you know, you're really letting down the democratics, the system that we have here that places importance on voting. You need to get in there and do what I do every four years and vote for the Pirate Party. The Pirate Party. That's who I voted for last time. Okay. <laughs> okay. We did not get in. Um Yes, well, increasingly the democracy sausage is becoming redundant because everyone's um, uh, pre-polling now. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible percentage of votes have already been cast. In fact, my better half, Abigail, we have a tradition of going and voting together and she came home yesterday and said, oh, I just voted. Oh, good on you. Okay, well, I'm going to continue to vote on the day because I like going in there and ignoring the how-to-vote cards I don't want to take. and um, Yeah, it's a whole... I had great fun at the state election because our polling booth was festooned with this party called the Pets Party. Oh, it was yeah. a party for pets yeah. or looking after pets. And the actual candidate was there at my polling booth and there was a big photo of him with a, with a um, border Poodle. collie. <laughs> and I asked which one was the candidate. Well, uh, I'm. Just, final, do you know what his response was? What? <laughs> final word on this. <laughs> I live in Higgins, and uh, could be an absolutely incredible result in I'd, Higgins on Saturday. So I'd we'll vote see. for Roy Higgins. Ah, very good. Uh, the professor. All right, we've got to move on now. Very quickly, um, you wanted to make a comment about uh, commentary of the Gold Coast Melbourne game. Yeah, I was in the car. Uh, it was a close game, so I was in between venues. Don't know what venues they were. Um, maybe I was heading to the St Kilda game. And I was listening to SEN in the third quarter. When I was at SEN, I worked with Benny Jones, and I get on really well with Benny. I liked him. I liked, oh, Benny's a great guy. I like Benny. And maybe it's because... I sense a butt coming. Well, absolutely, Benny. And I hope this gets back to Benny. And I keep saying Benny for a reason. Because I only listened to half of a quarter. And in that half of a quarter, that's 10 or 15 minutes of football, Benny maybe understandably referred to Ben Ainsworth as Benny Ainsworth. But then he referred to Sean Lemons as Shawnee Lemons. There was Joshy Corbett. There were three references to Jakey Melcham. Now, I reckon the under-10s would find it nauseating to be called Shawnee, Joshy, Benny and Jakey. Now, two words here, Finey. This is a a well-known commentator's trap, assumed familiarity. Uh, even more than that, assumed some sort of parenting parentage. <laughs> now maybe it's because Ben's name is Benny that he sort of um, he, he infantiles names. The commentary was fine. Benny, don't think you can use infantiles as a verb, but go on. Infanti- infantizes. Infant 
Infantilizers. Oh no, that's that, that's something that's something getting into a crime. Yeah. Um, infanticides. No, that's killing a child. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't sound good. Honestly, who's Shorty Lemons? Yeah. And yeah. No, no, fair okay, fair, yeah. fair and, point. And, and, out, and out of that game, Shawnee and Jakey got injured and both will miss a month. Um, lemons and but at least you're talking about his commentary and not a plug for some sponsor or credit line. Um, who was his uh, familiarity sponsored by? I don't know, but baby bunting. Yeah, um, but it, it sort of made the commentary seem a bit silly. So yeah. all I'm saying is, Benny, you're a good commentator, really good. Please, don't, um, it's not under eights. All right, now we're, we're going to do this quickly uh, because it's a week old, but we did the podcast last Thursday and, of course, a very historically important moment was reached on Thursday evening after we recorded, which was the announcement the Kevin that Hill, the... RSN, no. Correct. We talked about monkeys on the dogs at the, uh, the Late Show with Kevin Hillier. No, the uh, announcement that the footy show was no more. Um, so... We should mark its passing, finding incredible Melbourne in, or Australian TV institution started on uh, Sunday mornings in 1993, uh, mutated to or grew to a Thursday night slot for 1994. And for a long period, for at least, oh, I don't know, 20 years, it was the absolute agenda centre in terms of uh, the football discussion. Look, unlike Janice Joplin and... And Morrison and Amy Winehouse and all the Kurt Cobain, all the famous pop stars that died at 27 mm. and are fated because they died young and at the height of their powers. The footy show died in a nursing home on life support, which yeah. made it less um, shocking, less less of an impact, and less of a less of a loss to footy fans in Melbourne. So. For many people, it had already died. The big question was why they shouldn't have caught it at the footy show this year. No, they shouldn't have. But does it really matter? No. Do you think that whatever it was called and whoever fronted it, it was uh, not going to work because the, the format was – or the the concept, even the, the time slot sort of become redundant because there's so much Thursday night footy now, you can't sort of nail it down to that regular Thursday night. Look, the front bar has taken up the – position of football with a laugh, football a football show, you know, with some humour in it. You can't go back to street talk. You can't go back to a lot of the stunts that made it what it was because those, those times have changed. And as those, as those things became anachronistic, is that the term? Yep. So the football show slowly died. Mm. And... I feel for the new cast because they would have tried their darndest. Mm. I, I know what it's like to be part of a footy show that dies because I was I worked on Life and Kicking mm. till it was dead and buried. And you try your guts out, you really do, and you have some good moments and bad moments. But you know, there's nothing worth being on a TV show with the stench of death. Yeah, because you know it. You, you feel it. You what feel happens it. in TV very quickly now too, which again makes it more remarkable that this show lasted as long as it did. And, um, you know, even those of us who have been critical of it in recent times um, would happily concede that, you know, I think its heyday was definitely the 1990s. Uh, you know, there was a period there where it was absolutely unmissable 
TV. So a big pat on the back to everyone who has been involved with that show at some stage of the journey. You done? Yeah, just on that, you know, it, it like its death was having so many trying different hosts at the end, and it, it reminds it reminds us of other TV shows that, like Happy Days. Not jumping the shark, but mm. at the end, you barely, you know, Richard Cunningham wasn't on it anymore. Wasn't and, he? No, no, he'd gone away to college, and Fonzie was the main character. How, and, I've always wanted to know the the famous jumping the shark episode. How yeah. long before the end of the show was that? Oh, I think. Again, it was when Fonzie had taken over the role as the main person on the show. Yeah. So I think it was in the last year or two. Yeah, okay. For people who don't know, Jumping the Shark is a term given to a TV show that is so desperate in its death throes that it tries something outlandish to regain viewers because on the dying days of Happy Days, they got Fonzie to ride his motorbike over a above-ground pool filled with a shark. Well, it's not just applied to TV now. It's applied to virtually anything that has seemed to have outlived its usefulness. And I'll tell you one thing, matey boy, it will never be applied to the Footyology podcast. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Let's get into it. Round nine kicks off in Perth on Friday evening. West Coast taking on Melbourne, of course, scene of that preliminary final bloodbath last year. And uh, what happens this time around? Well, West Coast... They are very, very slowly getting it back, I think. Not overly impressive against the Saints last week. Um, Melbourne, how do you think they're tracking? Not well at all. Uh, they just and they lose Meltram, who's a big loss, and Hibbard, who's a big loss. But, you know, they just their forward line to me is not really that functional. That was a game that Gold Coast should not have lost. Hickey comes back, which is important in the contest against Gorn. Melbourne would have to improve so much to win this game. I know West Coast aren't playing brilliantly, but I can't have Melbourne. I cannot cannot countenance Melbourne. Uh, I should know this, but is Willie Rioli a chance to throw the waffle? No, he's not going to be playing this week. That is the big upside. But he's he's coming back. That is the big upside for them though, isn't it? He's far more important to them than people realise. I remember we interviewed Luke Shuey after the game last week and he was uh, opining similarly and uh, a certain bloke called Nat Nui, not that far off either, will come back I think immediately after the bye. So a lot of upside for the Eagles. Still not playing well, but you reckon at home against a side that's playing a lot worse. Yep. They've got to be Monty's for that, don't they? Yeah, the full Monty. <laughs> no, I don't want to see them nude, that's for sure. By the way, that will be when we jump the shark, when we do this nude. Uh, even though it's a radio podcast, it would be uh, an audio podcast, it would be disturbing. I'm Tip- feeling quite ill thinking of it, and I'm one of the people we're talking about. Yeah, me too. Um, 46-44, tipping, you are coming, you are... I'm catching your up. way back. I'm not enjoying this. Yes, working my way into the season. But we, you're not making any ground on this game. All right, let's... Let's go to the both of us. Let's move on to Saturday afternoon at the MCG. Collingwood, St Kilda, a replay. Have they played at the G since the famous 2000... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, a couple of times. I remember yeah. St Kilda beating them, actually. That's right. St Kilda, a couple of years ago, actually led them a merry dance there. All right, so you take the lead here. What happens? Um, first of all, Collingwood will most likely not have Mason Cox back. There's a bit of a question mark this morning on Jordan Goey. That would make a big difference, actually, but I think he will play. Look, Collingwood are just 
deep where it matters, and that is in the midfield, and it got them over the line against a very game Carlton. And St Kilda play MCG surprisingly well. They do these days, don't yeah, they? because they like they're a team that moves around, you know, likes likes running, and the movement suits them. Uh, you can't tip St Kilda to beat Collingwood, but you can tip St Kilda, I think, to execute a little better than they have the last couple of weeks. They're, they're, you can't question their uh, endeavour, mm. but you have to start questioning their execution, execution. Yeah. And, and that will be watched. If they don't execute well, Collingwood will pants them. If they do execute well, Collingwood will beat them by three goals. I, th- I think it's fair to say that when St Kilda has beaten Collingwood of late, it has been because they have thwarted Collingwood rather than rising to a, a fantastic level themselves. The, the problem with that is, yeah, I, I've seen St Kilda up close a couple of weeks in a row now, and um, the execution certainly lacks. And the other thing I'd say about Collingwood is, I don't think Collingwood necessarily had a downer last week. I think Carlton were very, very good. It was just that Collingwood were able to switch to an even higher gear when the game was on the line. Look, Carlton did brilliantly. That goal by Patrick Cripps in the last quarter was a piece of individual brilliance. And Carlton, to get three goals out of five entries in the last quarter, Mm. was unusual. Had they not got those three goals, Collingwood would have won by six or seven goals. They would have stormed over them in a rush and won in a canter. So... There's a lot to be said that Collingwood maintain their form. Yep, so pies for both of us. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's head north to the Gabba. Again, Saturday afternoon. Don't see that many Saturday afternoon games at the Gabba from memory. And it is Brisbane taking on Adelaide. Hopefully the Lions have thawed out from their trip to Mars last week. A very frosty and wet Ballarat. And uh, the Crows... Got the job done again in a showdown. A uh, little bit of a fright early in the last quarter, but for 80 90% of that game really had it in control. And they have now strung together four wins on the trot. So there is a sense that Adelaide, four wins in a row, are slowly but surely uh, working themselves into a finals position and that they are actually creating enough momentum to be in the discussion about this season for highest honours. Mm. Likewise, there is a sense that Brisbane's very good start may be hard to maintain and the game against the Bulldogs might be the start of a bit of a slide. This is a really interesting game because if Brisbane can win at home, then those two theories are shot. Then Brisbane can make the eight and Adelaide are back in the ruck. I tip Adelaide in this because of momentum and because of the fact that their forward line now functions a bit better with Walker playing a bit better, Tom Lynch playing well, and Himmelberg also uh, providing. Their <laughs> back line is their strength, though. Alex Keith. Yeah, I was going to say, gee, they're not scoring at all like they used to, are no, they? But, but, it's fun- no but there's more functionality than in the early part of the season when Walker was a, a, criti- a criticised captain for good reason. Their back line is their strength, though, isn't mm. it? Yeah, Keith, it is. Yeah. Brilliant in the last month. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, Talia regaining good form to be very hard to play one-on-one. And they're getting service out of um, Hardigan. Is, is he playing? Who's the other third tall? At times it's been Hardigan. But uh, we're also seeing Brody Smith warm up to his work. Let's be honest. No Duday, no Malera 
they were considered their peas in the pod. So the back line stood up well in their absence. There's been no sort of uh, flick of the switch and it's the old Adelaide, is it? And, and I think you're looking at it now thinking that won't happen. But they are improving just enough, I think, week by week to at some stage get back near where they were two years ago. So both going for Adelaide there as well. Yeah, you know what's been disappointing for Brisbane this year? Not disappointing. He's been a great player, but Stefan Martin's wonderful output has not been... He's lost his his ability to... Mojo? Yeah, yeah, because he was a real Ruck Rover Ruckman, wasn't he? Mm. Very, very dynamic. Mm. He's just getting around at the moment, so I don't think he can exploit O'Brien. So Adelaide for both of us. Yes, please. All right, let's go down to the Cattery, the twilight game on Saturday, and it is Geelong versus the Western Bulldogs. And the Bulldogs, they're, um, they're rediscovering some form. Credit to them because I thought they were looking terrible a couple of weeks back or you, three weeks back. Do you remember when this game was like Geelong's derby? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, you know. Yeah. Who's your Who's your nearest meanest rival? Yeah, back in the old Herb Henderson at Geelong days. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> Western Bulldogs travelled down the Western Freeway. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they, in fact, here's an interesting fact. Just very quickly, do you know that for eighty years, only two Geelong players ever coached teams other than Geelong? Uh, Ian Hampshire and and Goggin, and it was both the Bulldogs. Yeah, you know. But, 90 years. Yeah. So there was a relation between the two clubs. Now, you can't tip the doggies in this, but you can expect a tough game for the Cats. You know, doggies midfield get a lot of ball. A lot of ball. Mm. Um, I just think that they're sort of small. In sta- you know, when you've got the likes of Duncan now playing well, Kelly, best midfielder in the league, I don't know if Dangerfield's fit or not, but Selwood should come back. Mm. Ablett's there. Menegola. Menegola's back this week. Mm. You've just got the big bodies. That it's a cast to, of thousands. You're going to service the forward line, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, no, they they are red hot for me, the yeah. Cats at the moment. But, yeah, credit to the dogs. I mean, they've got more hands on deck now, haven't they? Josh Dunkley gone back hands to on, the midfield and been very good. Thank God you're not a New Zealander. Oh, yeah, yeah okay, very good. Um, so can they win the Bulldogs? Well, I think we, it sounds yeah. like we're both of a view. Yes, they can win, but they won't. All right. My best tip of the year was tipping GWS to win it along. I got that correct. Yeah. They're as much of a chance as GWS were, but I'm not tipping them. Because Why not? Of, because to me... That only I, happens once a year? Yes, in a one way. But also, I tipped that result based on Geelong being more than Geelong of last year than this year. I'm completely turned around on them being a very different side. You know, Myers is a great pressure No, they're forward. far more dynamic. Oh, they've got so they many were. more players and so yep. many more choices. So I out of out of disrespect for Geelong, I tip GWS. Not again. No, yep. Geelong for mine. No, Katsumi as well. Uh, Saturday evening, Marvel Stadium. Oof. Essendon versus Fremantle. Uh, I'm going to kick us off here. I think Fremantle, um, they're slowly sort of going back to the Fremantle we've come to know and not be overly respectful of. Uh, I mean, that's a game last week at home against an injury-struck, albeit good side, that you should be winning. And uh, Richmond beat them pretty comfortably, I reckon. As to the Bombers, well, no, there's something not right there. And uh, I do think, I do think that, 
popularly the quality of that list has perhaps been overrated. I think Devin Smith, yes, he's been playing injured, but he's still a big loss. I think they need all midfield hands on deck. And I think one thing that has been underestimated are the injuries cumulatively to Sean McKernan, Mitch Brown, James Stewart. Because yeah, they've got to move on from that. No, they do. But I, I think the forward line has... Mitch Brown was the guy who'd really straightened up that forward setup, and Denver he's will gone. Be back this week. Yeah, well, the way Joe's been playing, I think, has been more of an issue than a help. Um, oh, hang on, hang on. He hasn't played this year, but he played in the he played against um, on Anzac Day. He was, he was very good, good on Anzac Day. He was pretty poor the week, the week after. But well, there's only two games, aren't there? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, that's probably a bit harsh, to be honest. Um, well, what do you think's going to happen in this? I'm tipping Fremantle. <laughs> They are just two big losses. Devin Smith and Fantasia, that, that is a lot of your speed. I know Devin Smith hasn't had it this year. So we've got this situation with McDonald, Tip and Witty. It's, it's boiled lollies and chocolate. All duck on, what is it, all duck, duck on, on no, no dinner? dinner? Yeah. Basically, it's, it's SH1T or sugar. Yeah. If he doesn't fire, I, I just don't know how that, you're relying on, the tall defenders of Frio were quite good. You know, mm. Hamling's a good defender. Ryan, when he's not getting hit in the head by the ball, seems to be okay. So I think Danaher has, could meet his match. Um, Do you, I'm sort of hoping that Mac Welfie plays on Luke Ryan so he can get that, uh, oh, co- that cover of Bros, Bros. happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether they... Do cross paths. Look, you brought. What do you think of when you think of Bros? Is it when will I will, will I be famous? There's our closing song, which means you probably want to turn off just before it starts. <laughs> uh, the oh god, that's a bad song. It is. Like, did, you know how people used to with the Angels? Yeah. Am I ever going to see your face again? Yeah, no, no way, way again. And you know. Yeah. When people sung the Bros song, When Will I Be Famous, did the orchestra, did the crowd just yell out, never? Never. Yeah. <laughs> but never is the word that comes to mind. Um, All right, sorry, I digress I, there. Go on. I shouldn't be tipping Fremantle because Fife shouldn't be playing, and I wouldn't tip, I would not tip Freo without Fife. I've got to, I'm pretty sure that last year they only won one game on the road, and I think that it was, was at Marvel it. against Carlton. Yeah, I was going to say against Carlton. Um, <laughs> wow. I, I just... This is massive for Essendon. If Essendon, who come, who if comes, Essendon who, loses... Who comes into the side? For I, Essendon? Yeah, because I, I don't want to be uber critical, mm. but I wasn't uber impressed by, say, Hams last week. He's pretty light-bodied. Yeah, yeah, he looked like... I thought it was a wrong game to bring him... He looked like a boy him. on a man's yeah, errand. it was a wrong game to bring him in for, I think. Yeah, this could be the, this could be the game that Travis Collier finally... Shows Essendon supporters what he's worth. What do they do with David Myers? Does he get a game? He's struggling, isn't he? He is struggling. Um, okay, so you're going for Freo. I've got to go for Freo. Yeah. Why? Because your losses, I don't think you'll be able to cover. Uh, no, all can't argue with any of that, but I'm still going for Essendon. I just think um, they have had a capacity to pull out a good backs to the wall win. But the problem has been that they're not winning enough when they should win. Um, but if they lose this, it's it's curtains, really. Three and six, no coming yeah, back from curtains. there. I, I know he doesn't want to do it, but I'd play hooker forward. Uh, well, it might happen. It might happen. Yeah. Um, Have you played Melbourne yet? 
Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the start of the revival. Yeah, that's right. Incidentally, stop saying you. I, I'm, I do. I am employed by the Essendon Football Club. No, that is correct. Has Essendon played Melbourne yet? Yes. Okay. All right. Did, did, so Essendon, I, I'm looking forward to Hooker playing on Marty Hall. Yes, very good. We did one of those gags last week. Well, who was it? Whore and... Uh, I was about the pro. Oh, yeah. Lacocious. Yeah. He's precocious. Uh, all right. You're going for Freo. I'm going for Essendon. Yep. Second game on Saturday evening down in Hobart at Bell Reve Oval. Um, what's that called? Blundstone Arena. And it's going to be pretty chilly, you'd think. North Melbourne taking on Sydney. What happens? Well, thankfully it's there because... North Melbourne at home to Sydney at Marvel would be very crowded, given Essendon and Freo are playing there. North Melbourne, well, when I first looked at it, I thought, oh, North are hosting Sydney at Marvel. And then I thought, hang on. That's Do you reckon Saturday, uh, Saturday night games this time of year in Hobart, are they a good idea? What do you think? The people of Hobart shouldn't, shouldn't be allowed to watch footy on a Saturday well, night? Why won't they be at some sort of... You know, special cocktail function at Mona or something, you know? Well, it's election night. Maybe oh, it'll be too, a Don's yeah. party. Yeah. Great film. Tankard around their neck. Great, great film. Um, anyway, go on. Look, North Melbourne are very, very good down there. They have not, their form has not been hateful over the last month, has it? No, no, I thought they, 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 were, they were pretty good against the Cats. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were profligate in front of goal early. Much, and Geelong sort of counteracted that with some accuracy, so that could have been a different story in that game had they been more accurate. Uh, Sydney, look, that, their win against uh, Essendon was brave, and Parker certainly found some form. But Sydney, when they were very good, couldn't beat North Melbourne down at Blundstone a couple of years ago. Mm. And that was a really big win for North, and it sort of uh, really put a... a, a Breaks on Sydney's, wasn't that, wasn't that the game? You know they'd won all their. Was that after the slow start? They'd won just about everything, but they fell at that hurdle at the Blundstone hurdle. I think that may have been the case. Anyhow, I know that it was a serious. It was a loss to them that they couldn't afford because it meant they couldn't make the top four. I wonder if their penny might just have dropped with the Swans about contest a ball because that was. It sort of got overlooked a bit, but they were stone motherless last for contested ball, conceding an average of 17 contested possessions a week to their opposition. And they won the count against Essendon by seven. So it was pretty significant. I wonder if having sort of fixed that up, that is the entree to a much better performance. Yeah. Still too late for them, obviously. But yeah, I, I have to beat North down there. I'm yeah, I think North Melbourne. That is, it's quite a pronounced home ground advantage. So I'm going for the ruse as well. Uh, let's move to Sunday, uh, Port Adelaide v Gold Coast in Adelaide. I'll tell you something about this game. So brilliant is Kochi at, at making things work for Port Adelaide that this Port Adelaide Gold Coast game is actually a St Kilda home game. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't this the game each year that is the Gold Coast home game in China? Uh, well, it was the last two years, and I was actually present at the last one, finally, and it was... Now St Kilda's game there, we, we host this game well. It well, was, yeah, it was a suitably forgettable encounter, as was the first one, and uh, to be perfectly frank, I'm tipping that this will be suitable, suitably forgettable as well. Gold Coast could really go there and ruin Port Adelaide's season. Do you Port reckon? Adelaide, yeah, I think... They, no, I'm have, saying that, uh, yeah. no, if they won, they would go there and ruin their they season. They would. I just don't feel that's going to happen. I feel that they're sort of hanging on by a thread, Port Adelaide. Yeah, but They're just playing the wrong... They're playing... You can't... 
on form, you really can tip Gold Coast. They've won three. They've lost two by a point. So why won't we? Because... Go and be brave, Fonny. Do no, it. No, I'm not... Oh, you really want to catch up. <laughs> because... Look, if you can't win, if you can't win when you're a goal up at home with 40 seconds to go, you're not going to be trusted to win on the road against Port Adelaide. That's not to say that they can't play well during the game, but uh, you just get a sense that they're that they're not. I know they've won three, but they're not going to win on the road. What I, about Port? They've really, you know, we were quite enthusiastic about them. Yeah, they are, aren't they? And they're, they're saying we're decimated by injuries. Teams have injuries. They're, we're in the guts of the season. Look around. Look at Richmond. Look at Essendon. Look at St Kilda. Look at teams have injuries. Yeah. Port Adelaide are, are, are howling about it. And quite frankly, no one's listening. I. This is the sort of game Port Adelaide can't do anything but ruin their season. Because no matter what they win by, it's not going to impress anybody. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I'm not. I'm tipping Port, but I'm not just going to tip a winner. I'm going to tip that this will be an absolutely forgettable game marred by poor skill. But maybe it won't be. Maybe it'll be the, the game that we realise that Gold Coast are this very special blend that in two years could be a serious finals contender. I don't think so. Who are you tipping? Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide for me as well. I'm hopeful for Gold Coast. All right, let's go to the MCG. Now, this one is interesting. Richmond taking on Hawthorne, finally. A fantastic win to the Hawks last week. Not uh, Certainly not eye-catching, but another great coaching performance from Alistair Clarkson on and off the ground. Um, decision to drop Jared Roughhead, very brave. Yes. Um, and clearly put the heat on some senior players, all of whom responded with good performances. And uh, they did a number on GWS in terms of thwarting the way they play. And uh, that's what made it not great to watch. A lot of, you know, uncontested stuff and chipping around. But, um, you know, when, they're, when their minds are on the job, the Hawks, gee, they're, they're hard to beat. Coming up against Richmond, now here's the interesting part. Richmond, injury hit, but we've seen how that's been able to galvanise them, in a sense, and seen their lesser lights step up. Uh, More to the point, and I do tend to read a bit into those things, often wrongly, but Richmond used to give Hawthorne trouble even when Richmond were no good. Yeah, that's true. So this is a bit of a, it's a massive punt, actually, but I'm going for the Tigers. First of all, great to see... I think they were the two best winners last week. Uh, yep. And it's that's a good game. It's a good game when the two teams coming out of last week with you know the really good wins meet each other the next week. Because mm. one of them will be franking that form. And you will say after this game that they're, they're, they're seriously involved in the season, either of these two teams. Uh, Richmond have been decimated. You know, Soldo will come in for Nan Curvis. That is going to be difficult, especially against McAvoy. They they will retain Segler because he was very good in that last quarter. He had his best game back, so uh, that'll be doubly difficult for them. Incidentally, do you think there will ever be a game in which Ben McAvoy doesn't at some stage wear a head bandage? No, he wears he he puts it on before the game now. Oh, it's preemptive yeah, head bandage. Apparently, he's got crepey skin. Oh, really? I heard Isaac Smith talk about it. So okay. rather than have to get patched up during the game, yeah. the, the rigours of a contact sport, especially in the ruck where he yeah. rubs against the other player, he's just got crepey skin around his eyes. Yeah. Doesn't augur well for his 50s and 60s. but Makes him look like a rug, rugby union player, yeah, doesn't right. it? So it's a, it's a, um, a pre-emptive strike or, mm. or it, it's a 
it's done as a um, there's a word in medicine where you do it prior to being injured. Anyhow, Richmond versus Hawthorne is interesting. You know what I must say about Hawthorne? Well, I find some commentary on football. Uh, it's almost transparent that they don't watch the games, but they pretend they do. You know, oh, Hawthorne were great. Uh, O'Meara was wonderful in the midfield. And you know, they look at the goal kickers and look at the best players. You know what really was important last week for Hawthorne? Was Cousins playing a very good game. Mm. Was uh, Caden Brand contributed more than he normally does? You've got players in that side that are not considered frontline players. Um, I was quite impressed by the new kid. You know, his name will come to me in a moment. I'll tell you. You see, now I'm doing it. But um, <laughs> his parents were at the game. They, they, was, I'd hope so. Oh, there's a very funny story because his mother was asked what she wants for Mother's Day and she said for my son to kick a goal. And and uh, as it turned out, he had a shot at goal late in the game and it went very close. It would have been very nice. Because you know what she said after she said she'd like him to kick a goal? She said he won't because he never bloody kicks goals. Oh, she said that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks, man. Um, and his name, it'll come to me in a moment. Great. Oh, he's a new player. Um, oh, it'll come Who's going to win the game? Oh, I'm tipping Richmond as well because oh, yeah. I believe in Richmond. I believe in, I believe in. Mick Malthouse once said, "It's not who, it's how." And I think they, when their mind is on the job, are very much twenty-two is important, but it's not vital for them winning. I think they can harass their way into winning this game. All right, Tigers for both of us. And, and I'll remember that kid's name in a second. Great. Uh, round nine wraps up with GWS taking on Carlton at the showgrounds. Very disappointing performance by the Giants last week. And Carlton, yes, I know you're sick of hearing it, but uh, pretty good effort in defeat. Um, certainly overrun in the final 10 minutes or so. But, uh, you know, I, I think the amount of time Carlton are playing good football continues to increase. Um, I, I feel like overall their season this year has been so much better than either of the last two years. Dylan Moore. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. All right, well done. I didn't um, look anything up, I just remembered. Yeah, good. Um, so, you know, a lot to... Uh, <laughs> It's it would be silly for Carlton people to jump off now because there actually are genuine signs and they are happening consistently now. So um, they're not far off. Now, having said that, I don't think they're going to win this week because I think GWS will do what most decent sides do, which is after a bit of a stinker, uh, rebound, particularly at home. Um, so I think you'll see more of the sort of attacking, more flair-orientated giants that we know. And uh, I don't think they'll smash them, but I think they'll win pretty comfortably. Well, I think, I think uh, Carlton, it's disappointing when you don't win with a good effort. And as we saw two weeks ago against North Melbourne, when they were given a real chance to win, it was a very disappointing effort. Consistency comes two ways. It comes holding form, but it's best done by winning games. They've got a problem down back. Liam Jones most likely won't come back. Lockie Plowman is now injured. Might open the door for Hugh Goddard at his second club. And the big news is that Shane Mumford is back. And when Mumford plays, Giants walk taller. 
Okay. All right, there is our nine games in previews with Punch. Now, before we get to our final segment, Finey, we uh, we um, previewed this at the top of the show, our competition. Okay. been a massive success. Um, that was really good. Great response. We, we were flooded with entries. We really were. So thanks to everyone who took part. And when we uh, we will do this most weeks, so uh, make sure you enter. Uh, I personally went through all the emails, and it took me some time um, once having weeded out the sort of uh, get-rich-quick schemes and uh, free offers of Viagra and all that. And you, I don't know what it is about spam, but it infiltrates everything. But uh, lots of entries, and most of them were really good. So thanks, everyone. Please keep them coming in. And finally, you've gone through and picked out a few of the best ones. Yeah, this is um, sort of in the style of could have been champions, my absolute I loved them, and I loved them growing up, and I entered their competitions, and the big thing wasn't to win it, it was to get read out. It was such a proud moment. So we read out the top four or five, and then we announce the winner last. Now, we asked GWS on the back of last week's poor performance, shouldn't be called Greater Western Sydney, what does the acronym stand for? And Rob Dog, very, a very simple response, and it was a, a commentary on themselves. Gee, we suck. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, Simple. John Mark Gook, uh, great wasteland of sponsorship. Oh, yes. Yeah. By the AFL, which Clever. is... Clever. Adrian Chrome. Now, there were a couple of entries that had the W and the S, meaning without success. Yes. The G became vital, and I thought Adrian's was the best. He had guns without success. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As in gun players. Yeah, that's yes. right. Um, uh there was one that um, sort of implied, I'm not going to read it out because we have younger listeners, but it was very clever and it um, implied a, 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 an appendage without stiffness. Um, <laughs> um, now, there was one that was so far... Hang on, flaccid's an F. Yeah, it wasn't. It, was, it wasn't. Yeah, it was... Um, okay. It was sort of a nickname. Um, now, there was one that was so... From Richard Maine, it was so far left field... It was so kooky that I just love it. What is it? Grey wet socks. Mm, don't, don't get that. <laughs> Neither do I. What's I love the grey? What are we missing with grey? Oh, charcoal yeah. is one of their colours. Yeah. But aren't their socks... Actually, I've never noticed their socks. Are they orange? I think they're orange, but it doesn't matter if they're wet. Um, yeah. Were they wet last week? Uh, yeah, it was... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, good woolen socks, maybe. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, but the winner... And it's brilliant because it's from Nullanby in the Northern Territory. Really? Yeah, so we'll send a Adrian's Hamburgers T-shirt. Or an Andrew's Hamburgers T-shirt. Oh, Adrian's because that was the runner-up. An Andrew's Hamburgers T-shirt all the way from Bridport Street to the Northern Territory. Very good. And, we and a cap. Yep. And we should mention that Nick Spartels of Spartels and Hardwick Build Co. They'll send you a house. No, See the windsheeter I'm wearing? Yeah. We're going to have some of those to give away next week. Oh, good. They're they the ones that Scott Pendlebury made famous by wearing to trade. We'll have windsheeters, will we? Yeah. No, they're really good windsheeters. With, with a hoodie and yeah. everything. Yeah, good. But the winner was Ged or Jed? Ged, you reckon? Uh, yeah, G-E-D. I reckon probably Ged, yeah. Zockling yeah. of the Northern Territory. Well done, Ged. I loved it because this is to be said with sarcasm. What is it? Good work, Sheedy. Ah, yes, yes, very good. Brilliant, brilliant answer. Going back to the pioneering coach of the Giants. Good work, Sheedy. You got Falao to the club. 
All right, well done, Ged. So a T-shirt, a cap, and, uh, of course, just quickly repeat the details of this week's prize. So this week's competition is simply join us at 144 Bridport Street on Thursday at 1pm, not this afternoon, but a week from today, May the 23rd, 1pm. First three people to come up to Rowan or myself and say the word footyology, get their lunch for free, a burger, chips and drink, and a free cap. And then everybody else who turns up gets chips and drinks for free with the burger if they purchase one. We'll be joined by Mike Sheehan. We'll be joined by Stephen Peake, who has his followers. Careful, because he likes his food. Troy Zantuck, Nick Spartels will be there, all the crew from Andrew's Hamburgers, the number one burger place in Victoria or Australia, and we're going to have a bit of a party. And just make sure you don't go up to any of them and say footyology. You've got to come up to either myself or Finey yeah. and say the word footyology. Don't then assault us after that either. Or you won't, won't you, know, you know what I'm looking forward to what? about that whole thing? What? The burger. Yes, yeah, so I, I could go one right now. One o'clock. Next Thursday, the 23rd of May, May, 144 Bridboard Street. We'll see you there. Okay, let's bring this baby home. On Footyology, the final word. All right, Finey, you go first. Okay, look, on Footyology on Sunday, one of my not hots in the hots or nots was Eleni Gluftsis, and I felt that the AFL were not going to do what they should do and demote her. Look, Eleni has had a stellar rise to be an AFL umpire, and I'm sure many umpires that have had long careers had to step back at some point and maybe do some VFL. I'm confident that she will again umpire in the AFL, so I'm taking no pleasure that she was dropped. She should have been dropped, and I applaud the AFL for making what is a hard decision for an organisation that sometimes wants their wants the brand and the look of the brand, they put that ahead of the game itself. So tough call, fair call, and Eleni will fight back and umpire AFL football again one day. All right, that's good. Critical last week and now supportive. I like that. Uh, okay, mine is uh, a bit of self-promotion, to be honest, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, I've written a column for Inkle who are a uh, news aggregating site I work for. That uh, You'll be able to read that on Twitter. Inkle? Well, Inkle, I-N-K-L. They are news aggregators. That's, it's a great service. What's the, news aggregating? Well, they bring together all the um, best news stories from media outlets around the world, all in one convenient oh, that's good. Uh, shopping centre. It, it is a great site, mm. and uh, I'm writing a column exclusive for them uh, for the first 24 hours. Anyway, it'll appear on Footyology tomorrow. Um, But I've become convinced finally, and this is a big thing for me, finally, um, I've given the new rules a bit of time. I've had a look, studied the numbers. Scoring now is even lower than it was last year when it was the lowest for 50 years. 80 points per team we're averaging at the moment. Contestable ball is at an all-time high, just keeps going up every single year over the last decade or so. Um, kick-ins, the latitude given the players kicking in from behind, not being exploited by coaches to the extent that uh, scores from behinds last year were 4% of all scores were from kick-ins. It's now gone down to 2.9%. Mm-hmm. It's just 
transitional play is gone. I told you that that kicking out of the square thing was rubbish. It yeah, just, well, it just funnels them to one side. It's worse. Yeah, well, all this has led to me led me to conclude that no amount of tinkering or changing the rules is going to make any difference to scoring. Rubbish. I've got one thing that... Well, hang on. Can I do my final word? I'm telling you I'll counter this. All right. Well, you're not supposed to. It's supposed to be my final word. Sorry. Um, I don't think the congestion is going anywhere. I am now firmly of the view that the only way for this to change, and maybe people don't care enough to want it changed. I do. I think footy aesthetically looked a better product 20 years ago than it does now. As much as I enjoy it now, I think if you did this... It wouldn't upset the punters that much because the rules wouldn't be altered. The game would remain exactly the same. There would be more space to play it in. I am now an advocate for reducing players on the ground from 18 to 16. Four fewer players on the ground, more space for forwards to lead, more space around the ball. I think it's got to be done if they are serious about making change to the way we play the game. I can tell you... Really? Do you want to hear that broth song? I can tell you, I can, I can bring in a rule today that will raise scoring from 80 points average per game to 100 points average per game this weekend. What is it? Make a goal 10 points and a behind two points. <laughs> But you're not serious, are you? Oh, well, that's, it's thinking outside. <laughs> you can have that bet with somebody. I thought you were going to seriously counter my argument. What do you think of my argument? You're spot on. Uh, you agree? Well, the the grounds that, you know, back in 1960s, mm. Sir Kenneth Luke envisaged Waverley, and he had it, his vision was correct, that the players were getting more athletic, mm. covered the ground better, so he said the grounds needed to be bigger. Do you say that, do you? Well, that's why Waverley yeah. was so huge. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, well, I, I think he's he was spot on. And I mean, he wanted a ground that could, that, you know, Waverley was supposed to have another level yeah, yeah, of seating. Yeah. He wanted a ground that could fit 140. 100, 160, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Maracana well, Stadium size. And But look, before you dismiss this too, just have a think about it. All those rule changes, yes, they do uh, alter the way the game um, is played. This isn't altering the way the game is played. It's just creating more room in which to play the game. If they take up your suggestions, you know what you will be? What? Famous. <laughs> no, nice seek. <laughs> just quickly, sorry, one more serious thing with this. There is a charter now, and the, uh, one specific item in the charter uh, is that the game will be played by 18 per side. That, however, can be changed with one legislative stroke of a pen. Now try that line. You know, if they bring in <laughs> 10 points for a goal yeah. and two points for a behind, yeah. I'll be famous. Well, we'll wait and see. Uh, thanks to your company. Good luck for your team this weekend. We'll see you again on Sunday evening to wrap up round nine and hopefully all of us can become a little famous. Oh!